Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. My mandate this morning is going to come from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, 12th chapter, specifically the 11th verse. And I want to teach on a sermon entitled The Key to Spiritual Fervency. The Key to Spiritual Fervency. The Key to Spiritual Fervency. The Bible tells us God instructs us through his Apostle Paul that we were not called, we're not designed to be slothful in business. Here, business does not mean your kiosk shop or your clothes shop downtown or your contract with a certain government. No. In business here, we're talking about the business of the kingdom. God has called every Christian not to be slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Hallelujah. Because these things work together. Everyone which I know is fervent in the spirit is serving the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible speaks in the book of Acts, the 18th chapter, the 24th verse, if you will read, speaks of a certain Jew which was named Apollos, born in Alexandria. The Bible says this man was eloquent and mighty in scriptures as he came to Ephesus. Verses 25 says this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. You see, because he was fervent in the spirit, he preached the gospel, although he beheld one doctrine and not the full counsel of God. But we can see that when he was confirmed or found by heaven as a fervent one, the Bible says he was found teaching. Prior to that fervency is that the Lord had revealed his way to him. When you carry the revelation of the way of God, when you carry the instruction in the way of the Lord, Bible says you are fervent in the spirit. Any man which has been instructed, eh? the Bible speaks of being taught of God. When he says, but that's not how so you have learned Christ. It's because there are many people who are learning from different sources and these sources they call Christ. So in Ephesians, when he says, but you have not so learned Christ, there is a way that you are learned of and you can learn of Christ from Christ or by men. The Bible speaks expressly in the latter times that men shall preach doctrines 
of devils, even as the gospel of Jesus Christ and some shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, he emphasizes. Sometimes when we say we're preaching about Jesus, it's also important to define from which source we define this Christ. Because there's a devil in his subtlety. Because men are simple. Proverbs rebukes us not to love simplicity. Because we are simple in the spirit. We're easily deceived and we're given a wrong vision of Christ. Paul speaks of a time when men shall receive a Christ that was not taught by the apostles. A spirit that was not given from God. And a message. Some people are preaching from the wrong spirit. Some people are ministering the wrong Christ. And a gospel also from another source. Not everything we're hearing in the body of Christ or from the church of Jesus, as some of you define it, is true. Yes, it's named so, it's identified as so, but let me tell you, there's many things being taught on the altar and they're not from heaven. They're not from the throne of God. Hallelujah. But I wanted to emphasize an example of a man which was fervent in the spirit. What does it mean to be fervent in the spirit? Somebody which is burning in the spirit. Somebody which is zealous in the spirit. The Amplified, if you go back to what I was reading in Romans 12, 10, he says, never, 12, 12, 11, he says, never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. He says, be aglow and burning with the spirit. Again, he says, serving the Lord. We're talking about the call to all believers to be fervent and burning for the Lord because it's possible not to be so. Bible speaks of the latter times. Which age we live, it says that iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. Why people are disintegrated. They are separated. They are alienated from the life of God and the functions of heaven. The need and purpose of heaven is because iniquity has abounded. And iniquity is in levels. There are things that some people don't know are actually iniquity before God. There are things that are an offense to the person of the Holy Spirit. But people don't know that these things are an offense. And because it continues to abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Many people don't really love God enough to understand his way, to align themselves to the fervency of the Spirit, to burn for God and serve him. This is not a popular sermon. But I always tell people, what makes me apostolic is not because I preach what you want to hear, but because I preach the truth. You understand? So the few things I'm going to share might hurt a bit. They might cut you. You might bleed in this service. But that's okay. I want you to consider that you're being circumcised in your heart, in your ears, in your eyes. God needs to improve who you are. And this is the instance of the word. Scripture is profitable. Not only to exhort you. Not only to comfort you. But also to rebuke you. To correct you. You need to be furnished. Lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Apollos, the Bible tells us, was an eloquent man. He was eloquent. But his eloquence does not define his fervency. They don't exist in the same space. You know, we have people who so much 
and this I say respectfully, have never learned to live from the inner man. They have no expression of the inner life. They only understand things from without. They only speak of things on the surface. And I'll tell you, for the most of the part, this fallen world only understands things from without, not from within. That is why we're a generation that does not understand inner wisdom has no inner ears. Our parents used to call them the ears of the heart. To hear what is not being said from without. And without that, you cannot really carry understanding. You carry no bearing of the true north. You carry no discernment, no judgment of the spirit. And I'll get to that a bit later. But unfortunately, as it is, that's the generation we're living in. Those are the things that we deal with on a day-by-day basis. The world we're living in every day is becoming crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier. Because we define things from without and not things from within. We're seeking the attention of things from without and not the attention of things from within. I have always argued this. But if Apostle Paul lived in 2023, I bet you he would not be heard by many. Because you see, this man, the Bible says, had a contemptible speech. This is Paul in his own testimony. He says, for the letters were weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. He says people always say that of him. That was the feedback everybody gave about Paul. Paul's bodily presence was weak. He was a weak fellow. When you met him, he was a very tiny fellow. He didn't look like the apostle. Definite article. Because we consider things from without. Many people would have disqualified him at that level. The Bible says his speech was contemptible. He was not a man who knew how to articulate things with the right words. He didn't have the right sentences. He didn't have the language and the right grammar enough to express himself as he ought. But the Bible says his letters were powerful. He was a man of powerful letters. And amazingly, God kept that. And you ask yourself, this man is that anointed. Why wouldn't God give him the language? I have learned by experience, and I don't know whether some of you will agree with this, it's not impossible. I have seen experiences where God has given men both. But usually I have seen when he gives one, many a time he doesn't grant the other. I don't know why. Probably it's a reason to keep us humble, keep some people at bay, to still feel that they're human beings. Yesterday I was talking to somebody, some wisdom. These things that belong to the mature, we were really talking about why it's rare that men with a kingly grace, and I'm speaking earthly, uh, usually given a certain place of wisdom, of grace, to designing certain dimensions of wisdom. And it's hard to reconcile both. So sometimes you find these wonderful kings, but they're not able to speak. There's a certain wisdom they cannot connect to. And so it's expedient and I believe it's a fundamental law 
under all craft, whether state or otherwise, for a king to surround himself with wise men. Because you might never know it all, but to know the wisdom of who I will need if I'm to be king. And when I'm talking about king, I'm not only talking about traditional, no. I'm talking at every level. Bill Gates is a king. And he earns his right in the jurisdiction of technology. But if some of you have read the story, most of the stuff built under Microsoft, he didn't build. He just had the right brains to help him build. So it was with Steve Jobs, they say he could not even build a motherboard. But Apple is there. You see? I'm not saying it's impossible. There's a few rare people you'll find in life who both have the kingly anointing on them and the vindication of that wisdom. There are few. There are very few. There are very few. Look at Moses. With all the power God gave him. In Exodus 4.10, he told the Lord, I am not eloquent. But this is the man God has given the message not only to Pharaoh to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of bondage and slavery, but also to instruct Israel through the journey of becoming a nation. He gets a man who carries no language, slow of speech and of a slow tongue. This was not a man who could easily convince by language. Yet, in the spirit, he had a certain bearing of language. The book of Acts, I believe, says it in 7.22. The Bible says Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. In words? In words? He was a man mighty in words, yet slow of speech and not eloquent? Oh, yes. Because it's one thing to be articulate from without, but it's another to carry the bearing of the authority that gives you a language of the spirit. And many people don't know that difference. I think that's what Paul found. That's why he says that my speech and language were not with the enticing words of men. They were not in the plausible words of men. I was not good at convincing. I was not the perfect orator. He says they were not in the persuasive words of men, but they were in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. The power of God operating on me is what he says stirred in the hearts of my hearers the most holy emotions and that's persuading them. Paul says I was not persuading men because I was eloquent, because I was persuasive, because my words were plausible. But there was an operation of the Holy Spirit on me that gave me such an authority that even in the most flawed speech I could deliver, there was a Spirit of God vindicating every word that I spoke to my hearers and thus persuading them. Such that your power should not dwell in how articulate you can be, but in how yielded you are to the person of the Holy Spirit. It's a very deep mystery. These are men who learned what it means to live within. These are men who understood the power of building from within, that inner man, to know he has a tongue, he has eyes, he has ears, he has everything, every feature you see of your physical man. That man has it. When we lay hands on the sick, we don't lay hands by this physical hand. This physical hand cannot heal anyone. But there's a spiritual hand that extends God's power. Yeah. Hallelujah. If you're going to get married, study the person, who they are inside. 
Don't move by what you see on top. Look at the inside of that person and make the decision. I know people who are not married, not because you did not have the opportunity, but you looked from without and they didn't take the boxes. Now you're saying, God, get me married. But God said, but I brought the guy. He just didn't match your boxes outside. You were deceived by the American movies. Brad Pitt. Every man is going to look like Brad Pitt. I promise you. Hallelujah. Are you learning something? But back to what I was trying to tell us here. Fervence. Fervence is not just finding a person in a corner saying, that's all surface. It all goes back to the revelation of that man in the way of the Lord. And the consequent service that that man or woman has towards their God. That's how you know a fervent spirit. How committed you are in the things of God. Hallelujah. You respect and learn to honor the patterns that make you. One man said, never boast that you stand lest you fall because the scripture says so. And I agree, the scriptures say, let him that standeth take heed. If you think you stand, you might fall. But this is for people who are standing in their own strength. If a man is standing in his own ability, that man will surely fall. But the same Bible has given me the confirmation that there is a way you can stand and know that you're standing and you'll never fall. The Bible says, make your calling and election sure. He says, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. When you understand your calling and election, you can never fall. But there I discovered what God had called me to do and what he had elected me to do. You know, your calling and election are two different things. What you're called to do is different from what you're chosen to do. This is where you separate your giftings and the mandate or assignment of God on your life. This is how you understand how heaven appoints men. This is how you know the difference between an office and a mantle. Offices are to the called. Mantles are to the chosen. When you understand this, the Bible says you shall never fall because it comes with the prevenient grace. The soonest is the critical faculty of wisdom that always guides you in the spirit to make sure that you're standing where you ought. You will make mistakes. You are a flawed being. The treasure is in other vessels that the excellence of power might be of God. But even when you are off by reason of your weakness, you are not off by your positioning in the spirit. Are you following what I'm saying? Temporal confused gifts with positioning. Now, positioning is a different place. It's the consecration of the heart. That's the core identity of the human being. Your heart. I mean spirit here. Not physical heart. That's what God is looking for mostly. Beyond calling to elect. The Bible says very clearly. Oh no, somebody might say, oh, but we are elected even before we are born. Oh yes, you're right in that. But for you to be functional in that election, there is a consecration you have to go through. 
and this is a place of your heart my son give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways so now you understand why apollos the bible says knows the way of the lord is instructed in the way of the lord he had a time and a season and a place or a phase in life where he had to give his heart wholly to god i can tell when a man's heart is not given to god fully that's what it means to really die when paul speaks of dying often when paul says i'm dead that i live yet not i but christ liveth in me and the life that i now live i live by the faith of the son of god who gave himself for me he's talking about a certain death that can only come by giving your heart fully to god so i'm going to say i am born again but it's another to give yourself wholly to god total surrender there are many who are not surrendered they are gifted but they are not surrendered they are lusting and they confuse that with hunger so you're always trying to reach out for things in god you will never get because you're not circumcised in understanding enough to handle what you're asking for especially when you're the kind of person who is asking for things you just don't seem to get to you're always asking god for things why don't you use me like this why oh and you know and i have heard a few people say oh no don't compare yourself with any other person you're right not to compare yourself with any other person god has not called us to compare ourselves with other people but i don't know whether some of us know that there is a place in the spirit which doesn't seek to compare itself with another but agrees with another grace and in the place of agreement provokes your spirit because you truly understand the weight of your calling and you meet another person who is in the same calling or assignment and you find not that you're comparing yourself with them and some I've seen that some have used the word comparing yourself with another person to escape the responsibility that is due from the provocation of the spirit that you need when you meet a man who is flowing in the very graces or whose assignment or purpose is tagged or connected to yours you remember when mary met elizabeth something kicked in mary and that same thing kicked in in elizabeth why because as we see by scripture later on what is on john the baptist was to usher in what was on jesus christ these two people were connected in purpose and assignment now if mary met elizabeth and because she didn't want to compare herself with elizabeth some then keep some would be so wrong with those two women because it was supposed to kick in mary as it kicked in elizabeth and to know the difference between that which god provokes in your spirit by reason of showing you a template in the life of a man or woman for whom it is working to wake you up and simply comparing yourself which is carnal it is flesh snot of god it's the last of the eyes the last of the flesh and the pride of life to know the difference between the two is great maturity because many people don't know i have seen people who are saying don't compare yourself with somebody simply because they are not ready and mature enough to step up to the anointings that can provoke them because they are truly a template designed by god to align and call or invite people in higher realms 
So I hear somebody say, don't compare yourself, but he's actually saying, I'm envious of. This is a very mature text. We're not supposed to compare ourselves with people. That's true. And the Bible tells us not to compare ourselves with others for we become fools. But the Bible has also told us to desire the best gifts. The Bible has told us to give honor to whom honor is due, custom to whom custom is due, praise to whom praise is due. I have found fellows who because they are envious of what's upon another man, they are not willing to not only honor or celebrate it, forgetting that this is a Mary and Elizabeth experience. It's not Mary and Rita. Perhaps what's in that woman is inviting you because you carry the same pattern or lineage in assignment. Are you getting what I'm saying? The people who provoke you and much as you might not compare yourself with them, it will be too stupid. And I'm using that word stupid in English dictionary meaning unserious. <laughs> Silly, unserious. Not to pattern yourself after something that works. If you have found that that man or woman has a template, whether in business or in any other aspect of life, it's okay to desire the best gifts. But not to compare. But there are people I know, if they had not found a man with a template, they would have not fulfilled their full potential. If they had not found somebody to provoke them, they would have not lived their full potential. And so they met someone, as something was kicking in them, it was also kicking in that individual. They carried the affirmation of the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Back to what I was trying to tell us here. There's one portion of scripture I fear even to teach about. I shudder every time I teach it. And this is Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4. He says it's impossible for those which were once enlightened and have tested of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tested of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again and to repentance seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Every time I read this portion of scripture, I shudder. How can a man test of the heavenly gift? Be a partaker of the Holy Ghost and test the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. They have a vision of what the God they serve is going to do in the years to come. They see that this is where God has set his course and they still turn and follow it. The Bible says it is hard to renew such a man to repentance because it's as though they've crucified themselves the son of God afresh and put him to an open chair. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us. Help us. Help us. That this shall not be said of any person. 
at the sound of my voice. Because I've been in the gospel for more than 20 years now. Slightly above 20 years. I'm young, but because I started young, so I, I count my years. And that literally means I've been in the gospel longer than many of you listening to me. Serving the Lord Jesus faithfully. There was never a time I should turn up and I didn't turn up. And I can tell you, if there is sorrow, as Ecclesiastes speaks of sorrow which pursues wisdom, this is a sorrow that has hit me most when I see a man fall off and they don't know that they are falling off because they are still connected to the principles of religion, the paraphernalias that pursues the righteous, quote-unquote, but they are they are far. And they even justify themselves and doing this because of this, this person did this, and, and, and they start explaining everything and every reason why they are the way they are. But I can tell you they are lost and they don't know that they are lost. They are fallen away. And it's only a matter of time. One day when they stand before the Father, if repentance does not come and somehow God helps them see, they might never recover. And it's worse if it comes to the title. Bishop, apostle, prophet. But the things the person does, even a person who's not born again can tell this man has been off for a very long time. How many of you understand what I'm saying? And there are people you see on TV and you're like, how did this person reach this level to do and say such a thing and still be convinced he's right? That's why I prayed for us. I didn't pray for them only, but us as well, including myself. Always praying, God help me. And I never get to a point where I am disconnected from truth. Why find yourself in a disposition that everybody else understands what you're not able to understand, but you're not able to understand what you're not able to understand. So what kind of counsel can redeem such a man? Look at what's happening in the Western world. Look at what's happening in places like Europe and America. North America. You, you study and see. A child has to be 16 to get a driving permit. Because you don't trust them to make the right decision on the road. But they can make a decision to change their sex at 8. You feed them with enhancement pills, hormone pills, because they feel that they're another person. And even the parents, they support that and say, yeah, if my son at eight feels he's a girl, then he's a girl. Eight. Why don't you give them a driving permit? Why don't you allow them to get married? How can you tell a child it's okay to castrate yourself at seven years, eight years? Something has happened in that part of the world and it has covered everyone. There's no discernment anymore for what is right and what is wrong. It begins this way. As we become cold and cold and cold and colder, we get to a point where we cannot discern anymore truth and falsehood happens every day. Happens every day. 
now you have a problem. They can't raise families. They can't run marriages. They can't, they can't do anything. They can't work. They're, they're just there. The men in those nations, majority, not all, are now becoming boys. They grow into boys every day and the ladies grow into girls every day. The Bible is very clear. The dog has returned back to its vomit. You see what I'm saying? Because when you're a child, you think as a child. You speak as a child. You understand as a child. But when you grow up, you throw a childish thing. But how many of you don't know? Or how many of you no, let me ask this way, that the arts define shifting consciousnesses. This is what they're doing. Look at their movies, look at their sitcoms. How many of you have watched a sitcom called The Big Bang? Put up your hand if you've ever watched it. If you haven't, go on YouTube and just watch it just to understand this someone. One day the Spirit of the Lord starts to speak to me from the very, very thing and he told me, son, Look at everything happening to that society. It's depicted in their arts. You have a group of adults, grown-up boys. One of them still lives with his mother, but he's a well-achieved um, fellow, but he still lives in his mother's bedroom upstairs. The others are renting apartments. They don't build. Sheldon can't drive a car but he's one of the smartest professors in a university. They are wearing t-shirts like boys, jeans like boys. They can't even match colors right. There's an Indian boy who puts on yellow and pink and purple. Every day they are sitting in front of TV, every day eating. They have nothing constructive in life they do. Are you following? They go to comic stores every time to buy the latest uh, comics. They buy superhero clothes and they are, today they are dressed like Green Lantern. Tomorrow they are Captain America and they are conning ladies, but they are not committing. And those boys. Oh, you didn't get it yet. That's what boys do, isn't it? These are adults. They don't talk about bills. They don't talk about rent. They don't talk about, you know, buying houses for their children and settling. They don't talk about being father, mother, grandpa. It's just a mixed world. Some of you watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The guy lived in his father's house until it ended. Many of these comedies, it's just that world. These big bang boys are buying gauntlets and Star Wars memorabilia and all these things. That's just the life they live. And today you go in Europe right now, you find a man, he's 35, 36 years old, and he has bought the whole season ticket of football. That's all they know how to live. So how, when do they become fathers? How do they instruct? How do they inspire? A guy is 45, he's putting on torn jeans as a fashion. You understand? And they are saggy like this and he's putting on a chain and he's walking like this. He's 45. 45! No, leave that for a 22-year-old. Leave it for a 15-year-old. Back in the day, men dressed like men. Men spoke like men. Men walked like men. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking the truth. I don't care. Ladies dressed as ladies. You 
find a woman, she's 40, you're 50, you're 45, the thing you're wearing. Leave it for the, the university girl. Yeah, you're a lady now. Some of you are even married. There are things we can import, but we can't import those things. Especially when you're born of God. Dress like a lady. Talk like a lady. Walk like a gentleman. Think like a gentleman. Have those. You understand? So, yeah, sometimes you, you know, we can have fun and play and stuff, but when you need to think as a husband, think as a husband. You're seated in front of PlayStation and your wife tells you I need money and you say I don't have. But you're playing a video game. Something wrong, bruh. Something wrong. Something wrong. Something wrong. Something wrong. And we have those boys. He gets a chifanta, puts it here, gets a video game. And his wife tells I need money. You better have it. Because if you have it, you can play your game. But you're playing a game and there's no fees. You understand? And say, I don't have money. You're 45. You don't have enough grace to leave your father's house. Something is walking out of human conscience every day. And those of you whose consciences are still alive, speak. Speak. In love, but speak. You might save somebody. You might save somebody. A parent brings a boy. The boy is 30. And he's reporting him to me that he doesn't want to work. 30 years. And he has not understood the virtue of godly labor. But he's going to be a father too. He's going to lead this nation one day and be a minister somewhere. He's going to sit in a very big office one day and direct our children. You understand what I'm saying? Something is falling off. Those of you who still have enough wisdom to tell the difference, we need to do what has to be done because these people are taking over faster than we can count. Hallelujah, somebody. But back to what I was trying to say. When you have served God with a person and you see them fall off, it is painful. Because you tend to think and ask, how, what? You know how many people are just a boyfriend away? Just a, not even born again, boyfriend. And you know they're the ones who are looking at others like, about who are they talking about? Some people are just a job away, a visa away to Canada. Just a visa to Canada. And they'll go cold. Some people are just one million shillings away, 100 million shillings away, maybe a billion shillings away. Listen, there are people here. You could take the whole world. They can't lose their God. They cannot lose their fervency. And I have realized this. This always takes us back to our foundational consecration. Many of the challenges you're seeing in the church today is because foundationally, you, you read about this fellow called Ephraim. The Bible speaks of how he's an unwise son. So he was not founded on wisdom. So he tarries where women bring forth. 
where they bring forth children. So instead of carrying children for nine months, they're carrying children for 24 months. The conviction and the gift, the calling is there, but it has never been able to express itself. So the sorrows of a travailing woman come upon him. It is a man. Now here, they're not talking about Ephraim as a person. They're talking about Ephraim as a spirit. Then later on we see, because of that lack of wisdom, the same Ephraim, the Bible tells us, he shall give birth, his children shall be given to the murderer, and his breasts shall be dried of milk. So if they bring forth spiritually, his breasts cannot raise a child. They can't wean a child. They carry no milk, sincere milk. And so he brings forth his children to the murderer. If he carries a womb, the Bible says it's for miscarrying. And later he explains to us why Ephraim is the way he is. He says, Ephraim is a bread half baked. He's not turned. It's like when you make a chapati and then you put oil on the pan and then you put it there and burn one side and when you're going to burn the other side, you just take it off and serve it. Ephraim is half mixed himself, has mixed himself among the people and the Bible says he is a bread half baked. I realize many of the challenges we're dealing with in ministry and life is our foundational consecrations. If I could help certain people, I would take them back to their foundation and tell them, yes, you have walked this thing for 15 years, but you started on the wrong foundation. You can build 20 floors all you want, but the building you have raised is of two floors. It will fall. It can take 30 years, it can take 40 years, but it shall be a disaster. You were not dealt with. And let me tell you, our primal consecration is death. God to deal with you until certain things in your life. There are things that God has to kill. If they find you at a certain level, I'm sorry, I'm going to use an example that all of us know. You remember this fellow called Will Smith? At the peak of his career, I remember I saw that little snippet where Denzel Washington warned him and told him, take heed. The devil comes when you're at the top. And at that point, he has done a movie he's represented so well and then offense steps over this brother and he walks to another brother and slaps him in front of the whole world and from that day on nobody saw will smith the same again. and nobody will ever see him the same again he can explain he can do whatever some people are unforgiving some are forgiving like us but he will never be the same man again because of offense his foundation. Nobody tempted him to hold himself when he's offended. I cannot tell you how many people I know are off tangent and they are sure they are on because a few things in the spiritual magri. The rain and sunshine he gives to the wicked and the righteous. Those provisions have come and they still think they carry the vindication of the spirit. But if God was to simply take off this veil and show them what they could have been, if they had held their place, when the spirit of the ruler rises against you, the Bible says, do not leave your place positioning for yielding pacifieth offense, great offenses. And the person left the position. And I, I see the people I look at and I'm thinking, it's not poverty, you're not sick, your marriage is not failing. It's not, there's nothing out of tangent, you're just in the wrong position. So the frequencies are dropping in the position where you expected and you're just simply off tangent. And that little drift angle 
is costing everything. And I wish I could explain that. That's how the spirit realm works. I will insist this if Elijah had found any other prophet apart from Elisha. That's the man he would have thrown the mantle on. It was not in Elisha's performance. In fact, the scriptures tell us he was looking after donkeys. He wasn't praying. He wasn't shoko pakata. No. He wasn't doing anything spiritual to attract a mantle. But he was positioned right. And some things will find you that way. There are many people right now in positions of office, government, ministry, not because they were very prayerful people, but they were in the position when promotion came. They were positioned right when the right people they needed were next to them. Let me, you know that. If you've studied statecraft, you know, for example, that it's never about the office a man holds in any system of government. It's how close they are to power. There are people in any country who can make a decision and cause the principles of those nations to make decisions. Even ministers can't make them make. Why? Because they're closer to power. You must understand what that means. Lot did not define a destiny because he knew how to work hard. No, he just followed a man who was blessed of the Lord. And some of you, some of you, some of you, if you never get that wisdom, you'll die as normal men. You'll die as normal men. You will consider common what the Lord calls for you. Because of pride, inflated egos, offense, indifference, immaturity, the foundations are warped. You are not prepared right to understand that at a certain level there are things at your level you should not do because of where you're going, because of who you are. You see, it's one thing for you to be ready for the world you're entering and it's another for that world to be ready for you. And I've seen many people who enter worlds which are ready for them, but they're not ready for them. Their people are not ready for those worlds. Are you following what I'm saying? They're not ready for those worlds. That's why. Me, I pray for myself a lot on these things. Uh, because you see, you can be a pastor and you're pointing. I pray for myself on these things. I'm cutting as I'm cutting myself. We are both on the altar being sacrificed here. None of us escapes this, including Apostle Grace. When you're praying, I'll also pray for myself because if there's one thing I have desired of God is this, that I may fulfill all he has called me to do. All he has called me to do. Listen in Romans, it says, I have called you to be fervent, serving me. Burn. Don't be called. Burn. Burn for me. Be a glow. A light. Hallelujah, somebody. Are you following what I'm saying? The primal consecrations are important. The primal consecrations are important. I met a pastor once who had been in the ministry for more than 10 years. He spoke to me and the Spirit only told me one thing. One thing is needful. This man has to close his church and go sit under a good teacher. And I told him not necessarily grace women, but he needs to, the only way he could be redeemed was to close his church. I ran a ministry for three hours once. 
And God told me, no, I handed over everything, pen, pencil, equipment, chairs, light, and I let it go. And I went into the school of the Holy Ghost. Because for me, once I have known that I've missed it, there's nothing I'm not willing to let go. God knows. If I now have missed it, I'll go back and say, Father, what do we cut out? Cut this out. I will cut it out any day by His grace. You understand what I'm saying? Because when you understand your calling and election, there are things that are non-negotiable. There are things I can negotiate. There are things I cannot negotiate. There are things I cannot sell for at any cost. At any cost. At any cost. Because I know what that will do to everybody who follows Am I perfect? No, I'm trying. But it begins with understanding that note, that true note to know that yes, even though I've heard this is the truth and I know to do the truth. Because I have sat in meetings where people have vindicated falsehood and deception. Recently, there's a man of God who did this ministry so bad, so bad. Very popular name in Kampala. I'll not mention his name because you know me, that's not my way. I followed the scriptures. I sent the first person to him, a man of God. I sent the second man of God. I sent the third simply to tell this man, do right. Just do right. And I discovered it was not in him. And then his friends were saying, but he doesn't fight. How come he's fighting? I told them, no. You can't tell me he's just learned now, if he's twice my age. No, it was always there. There was just an anointing that needed to bring it out. And Fanero brought it out. You get it? This altar has never fought a minister. These men don't know how to fight ministers on the altars. You get it? They can't start in 10 years. Because it's not our DNA. But that doesn't mean that people won't fight us. They won't do all kinds of things. Oh my goodness, if I told you everything that I have seen, some of you would even fear some men of God who say they are men of God. But for the sake of conscience, we have to cover for the bigger picture. You see what I'm saying? That's why the reconciliation of knowledge and experience is judgment. Because I've seen people who have experienced so much that they don't know when they go beyond the boundaries of the liberties of experience. And I've also known people who know so much that they don't know when they overstep the boundaries that knowledge, to know that at this particular point, this knowledge puffs me up, yet I need to love this person enough to edify them, and so I will choose to speak in simplicity for the edification of this person than speak in the knowledge that would puff me up. And they chose simplicity. And when you choose simplicity, they think you are not deep. Because they are comparing you with one which has decided to fly with the pride of knowing so much. What did Paul teach? He says, when one man 
them which were weak. We were as them which were weak. We became all things to them which are under the law as men which are under the law. And to them which are not under the law as men which are not under the law, but not without the law of Christ. We became all things to all men that by all means we might serve some. You see what I'm saying? So in simplicity, somebody can even come to your level. Not because they are in your level or your rank. No. Don't be mistaken. That is why true honor can only come when you discern the voice. Some of you hear good preachers, but you don't know their voices in the spirit. You don't know their authority in the spirit. You get where I'm coming from? You can't say you honor something that you can't understand, that you can't define. When you can't distinctively define a voice or a sound in the spirit, you can never say you truly honor. It can be transactional. You can bow because everybody's doing it. You can do it because you want a need from a gift. But to really understand who somebody is. The reason why you can't talk to your father a certain way, biological, or your biological mother. And there are many people in this room who don't even understand what I'm saying. But mommy, you can talk to your mother like that. Your biological mother like that. And you're going to speak in tongues and expect God to entrust you with a million lives. Do you know how many people you deal with that tongue? Are you getting what I'm saying? Now to help this person understand that the problem is not what you've spoken to your mother. No, the problem is that you don't know how to speak to your mother. Or that you are not even able to understand that that's not how they talk to their mother. That's not how you talk to a man of God even if they are wrong. Because the Bible says you'll not go guiltless. You can be all right at any angle. But you're not going to be right by God, Miriam or Aaron. Because Moses has broken a law. He has married a Kushite woman. Now, God will call you on the side and say, you know what? Carry a leprosy. I'll deal with Moses later. First carry a leprosy. I'm not scaring you. I'm trying to mature some of you because there are things you never learned when you're growing up. And you find that a man of God is 40 years, 50 years in the gospel. 30 years in the gospel. But he doesn't even know how to talk to another anointed man or about another anointed man. I saw one the other day on TV. A man died. And then he went on television celebrating the death of another man. Go back to the heart of Christ. John the Baptist had just been murdered. And his head on a silver platter. The disciples of John and all the people that followed John came to Jesus weeping. And the Bible says he was sorrowed and felt compassion over them. The Bible says he was moved towards them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. You know what Jesus did? The first thing he did, he said, come, let me teach you. Why? Because he saw them without a shepherd. Now, the shepherd of the house has died. The first compassion the heart of Christ carries is for the sheep. Whether the shepherd was right or wrong, the sheep were following God. 
for the sake for the sake of the sheep reach out to them feel the compassion that whoever has died meant something to them and hold the word you're supposed to hold but how do I explain to such a person that this is a foundational issue it's not what was happening between him and the dead reach out to the house the Bible says if you go to the house of the morning mourn and that's a foundational issue Are you following what I'm saying? But that's the unfortunate world we're living in. That's the unfortunate circumstances we live with every day. You know, sometimes I go back and say, how are we going to stand next to men who died in the gospel, whose wives were killed, whose children were killed, and we carry no scars? Not because we're not susceptible to the things these men were exposed to, but because we're a generation that is no longer willing to speak the truth at the expense of our kingdoms. Are you following what I'm saying? That we're not humble enough to say, I'm wrong, God, forgive me. I will look for a way to debate this out. Even when the law speaks to vindicate me, the Spirit still convicts me that what I've done is wrong. I could be right by the letter and wrong by the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? I could be right by the letter. I fulfilled all righteousness. But by the Spirit, I've performed an abomination. It's just little things. Somebody tested God and they can tell the love and mercies of God. How can they extend that same mercy? You tested the goodness of God. He could have killed you one day and he said, no, I'll spare you. Why don't you spare another man? You went to God and did the unforgivable thing but went to him and told him, God, forgive me and he forgave you. Is it so much that he's asking you to forgive that brother? Why don't you extend that same grace that you have received and require of the Lord every day? Who of us here is not living by that grace? Who of us here was not left for dead if God was to deal with us as he ought? Are you following what I'm saying? God help me. God help me. Are you following me, child of God? Something is falling off real fast. This is a sign that we are called. The love of God is leaving our hearts every day. Every day. Every day. So I'm saying, how can somebody be enlightened? The psalmist in Psalms 119, from verses 101, he brings this predicament, this challenge, this dilemma. He says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep your word. And in Amplified Version, if you read the Amplified, this is the meaning of keeping the word. These are the four pillars. Hearing it, receiving it, because you can refuse to receive some. 
I can preach and you say, ah, I'm not taking that word. Loving it, loving the word, loving truth, and obeying it. Do you know what it means to love truth? When it comes for your progress to encourage and comfort, you love it. When it comes to rebuke you and correct you, you love it. That's what they call loving the truth. Some people only love it when it's preaching what their ears want to hear. And when it's not preaching what they want to hear, that's not my kind of preacher. What do you mean by it's not your kind of preacher? You know, every time I hear a preacher and I want to look away, I usually examine myself against that. Are you looking away because he's not preaching the truth or because the truth is too much for you? I examine myself on that. I do it a lot and I've had moments of repentance. Okay, 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 God. Mm. Cut. <laughs> then he cuts you. But you know, that's the beauty of the Lord. He cuts us in love. He sows us in love. He builds us in love. Everything that comes is there to help you. Hallelujah, somebody. Listen to this impasse. He says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep your word, hearing, receiving, loving, and begging. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have told me. How sweet are your words to my test, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I have sworn an oath and have confirmed it that I will keep your righteousness, so your righteous ordinances, hearing, receiving, loving, and obeying them. This man is saying, I have forsaken the way of evil. I have distanced myself from all falsehood because I came in contact with your word. And when I started to relate with your word and tested it, I confirmed an oath with you that I will never leave you. So I asked myself, but the people up here in Hebrews 6, they received this and left. How come this one has an experience and it commits them to commit to God forever, but these ones have had an experience and they can still fall away? How do they fall away? I asked the Lord. And he told me, I'll show you how or why they fall away. And the answer is here. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. He says, your words were found. And the Spirit of the Lord said to tell me that there's a difference between what you find and what you seek. You can seek something, but it's another thing to find it. Are you following what I'm saying? When you found, the Bible says, he says, I did eat them. When he found, he did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord of hosts. Listen to this. Listen very carefully. Because the key is coming out here. He found the word. Do you remember when the Bible says these words are life to them that find them and medicine to their flesh. You know, it's one thing to seek the word. It's another to find it. Whatever you find, you eat. Go back to Hebrews. You're going to get it. They tested of the good word. They tested of the powers of the ages to come. They tested. The Bible uses the word tested. Read it. He says, they have tested of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and tested the good word of the Lord and the powers of the world to come. They were testing. And the Spirit told me, there's a difference between testing and eating. 
Some of you, you test the word. You have not eaten it. You get the difference. Can you get satisfied by testing? Can you get drunk by testing wine? You get it? And God told me this tested. He told me my children test what they should have eaten. What they should have eaten. What they should have eaten, they tested. You can't allow the word of God to consume you to a place where it takes over your being in and out from head to toe to the minutest place of your person to yourselves and tell me you can follow. You can be weak. You will make mistakes, but you will not follow. You will not follow. In whatever madness you will carry, you can't grow cold. There are people I know who are unstable. They're unstable. And sometimes being unstable can come either because you're very hot or you're very cold. Did you know that? You know, some people understand only the unstable folk who from cold realms. They don't understand the unstable from being hot. You know, you can get so excited by what comes up. Was it Reuben? When Jacob is talking about his sons, he says Reuben is an unstable one as boiling water. In one of the sons, Genesis 49, he says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellence of dignity and the excellence of power. He is excellent. But the Bible says he is unstable as water. Though you shall not excel because you went unto the father's bed and defiled it. You went up to the coach. Uh-huh. Message. You're unstable and boiling over like water. Now, Ephraim's kind of instability was not from a cold kind of person. No, he was excellent. He was powerful. He was aligned to all the principles and laws of the spirit. He knew how to walk in the spirit. But he was a boiling one over. And in that boiling, he became unstable. Do you know how many people error? in ministry because they're too excited and they're too on fire that they carry no boundaries of wisdom to know when to hold back. And in zeal, you find them doing things they're not supposed to do or breaking divine protocol because they are zealous. Did you get it? They are not cold, they are hot. But nobody has tempted them to tell them that even in that hotness, you need some stability to know that yes, you want to preach the gospel, you got a revelation last week. You're dying to give it. But there is a process that qualifies you to be able to speak and first go through that process, then boil. Who has gotten it? Because your child is newly born and they learn to walk. They must respect that because they can walk, they can't run. Isn't it? So you see those babies who have just started walking, they try to straight out to run, bah, they hit the lips. So because you can walk, it doesn't mean that you should start running. I'm telling you as you continue to grow in God, especially when you sit under the anointing, that's when you understand that the man who is mature, spiritually, not aged, spiritual. Why do you think, for example, some of your gospel artists can't sit in a church? Have you ever asked yourself why some gospel artists can't sit in a church? And then you hear this person's lyrics 
and there is no revelation. They are using Jesus and talking about heaven and God, but it's not coming out of the consecration. Listen, I've had an opportunity to be friends with very anointed men who are psalmists. Because in the Bible, there is no gospel artist as a calling. It's not in the God's Bible. In the Bible, there is no calling called gospel artist. Because gospel, listen. Because you're celebrating the art, not the spirit. You understand? In the Bible, you find psalmists. You find worshiper. Because it's a nuance of the ministration of the spirit. Not the creativities of rhyme and rhythm. You get? But listen to this. I've had an opportunity. People like the dancing you know, in a can, they're my friends. Your Moses Blisses are my friends. Nathaniel Bassi is a very good friend. We talk. Talk to these men and just hear their consecrations. You'll understand why they're hitting the world. One of them in confidence gave me a story where his spiritual father told him, in this period to this period, you're not going to sing. Come and sit in church. Why they even told him to clean? He cleaned. He cleaned. Because God was not looking at this place. He was trying to tame the character. But they can't. They're either too superstar to sit on an anointing or the foundation. Of course, it's from the foundation. They were not prepared, right? They can't sit under a certain order. But they want to do a concert and be followed. Make your concert. <laughs> no. By all right, all, many people are gifted. There are many gifted people who are not singing. Some of us even sing better than them, by the way. And I'm not degrading any artist because, you know, they are very unstable. They can abuse you. You know, <laughs> they can't know when love is spitting. But I'll tell you something. I can bet you, for me as a worshiper, the first crippled people I saw walking, limbs growing, I was worshiping. So not many of them can speak of ranks I've not tested before. Because many are entertainers. But this is the truth. And you realize the only reason why this woman or man cannot sit in a church is because they have a voice. If they couldn't sing, they would have been a church member. Am I communicating? The only reason why they can't sit under an anointing to be taught and learn and be chastised and disciplined and held accountable of their lives is because they have a heat. Somewhere in studio. That is why many of our psalmists, because they've not undergone some consecrations, their music will not live beyond their generation. It won't. We even forgot the songs they sang last year. You understand what I'm saying? But there are people who have sung songs and you can realize these ones, it came from a certain place. So this is not for all. Some are really disciplined boys. And I can tell you some of them off head. There are some I know who are really disciplined, but there are some you can't discipline. They want to live the way of the spirit and serve God, but their pattern is of Drake. <laughs> Alien skin. <laughs> yeah? Listen. The question is, did you allow the word to get inside you? Did you swallow it? 
Because everything you eat will manifest itself. Like I said, you can't get drunk over tasting wine, but you'll get drunk if you take a bottle. That's what the word does. You can't tell me that everything you've been teaching you, you were listening, you were receiving, you were loving and obeying, and then you lose it. No, the Bible says, once he ate it, the word became the joy and rejoicing of the heart. He didn't say it became joy and rejoicing. It became the definite article, joy and rejoicing of the heart. In other words, they kept a fervency. They kept a certain joy, a certain flame in their spirit because they were called by name. They carry an identity. So they don't act prodigal. They're not offended. They can separate. They can design. Now they eat, you know. As babies, you desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow in. As you continue to mature, now strong milk comes. But it says, but it belongs to them which are full of age, who by reason of use have exercised their senses to design good and evil. The word there, discernment, discernment. They are mature enough to discern. This is wrong. This is right. I think this is not how I should do this. I think this is the way I should go. I think this is how I should treat my father. I think this is how I should talk to my mother. I think this is what I should do when I have to do this. I think this is what I have to do because I kept asking myself, and I'm sorry, I'm going to bring this as a by the way. Solomon divided Israel over women. You understand what I'm saying? Yet, I don't see a king that was prepared most for marriage like him. If you read Proverbs 31, you understand? You realize that he knew so much. He knew so much. He knew so much. These are Proverbs. He knows what Lemuel's mother told him. Go to the Song of Songs and you'll study the crown that the mother gave him when he was getting married. And you'll ask, how did this guy actually lose it when he was under all this much counsel? And he was a man of wisdom. A man of wisdom. On the day of his espousals, the mother put something on his head telling him, this is the woman, the. You get it? And that's my fear, to have so much and not use it. Eh? To have so much available for you and not pick what it should give you. Because the wisest man shouldn't have divided Israel. He should not have been the man to bring foreign gods into the temple. You see, the man of the heart, David, knew better. He wasn't as wise, but the heart was right. The heart was right. I think we've had this over and over that many of us are used to hearing it, but I tell you, I'm going to say it again because it's required of us to say it. We are in the last days. We are in the last days. Hallelujah. And as unpopular as this someone might be, it is most relevant to remind our generation that the next revival is here. There's a difference between pioneering a move and sustaining what was built. 
the price my children will pay is different from the price I've paid, and that I know very well. But I must teach them the wisdom that started from zero because they will never appreciate. They will never appreciate the journey. And that's what the challenge we find us as parents. That sometimes we go through so much trouble in life and then we make it in life and then we produce a generation of children that we never teach how to stand in hard time. And consequently, like they said, very hard generations brought good times. And those good times begat children. Which children now do not know how to live in complicated spaces. So those children bring back hard times. So when John says, let us labor that we might not lose the things we have wrought, it's another wisdom to teach a child to know how to sustain what they have received. But it's also important when you know that, and many of you listening to me, by the way, the things that are coming in the earth, you're going to be the first in your family to do. Some of you are the first to the graduate, you're the first to get on a flight, some of you are the first to get married, you're the first to raise children, right? You're the first in many ways. Now I'm talking to you who know you're first. I'm talking to you who know you're first. Because let me tell you, none following you will ever understand the price. No, I don't think anybody in this room understands fully. Fully. Because there are things we'll never say, except we teach them and tell you I went through this, okay? But our children won't see that and we pray to God they don't start from scratch because it's better to continue. I mean, look at Jewish philosophies, look at Italian philosophies, Russian philosophies, and all of this is borrowed from the Middle East. Look at all of them and how they think. You find children who are building wealth four, five, six, seven generations. The continuation of the work, the discipline of the principal and pioneer is in the most convenient generation. You find these Indian boys on Kampala Road, there's seven generations of wealth, but you don't hear them in a bar rested. You don't hear them drunk somewhere on drugs. They, they are not wasted. Our kids, they're just, you get money one generation, the next your boys on drugs. We can't even keep the second or third generation in check to preserve an anointing. The anointing in East Africa is older than what you see in West Africa. West Africa is 40 years old of graces. When you speak in with the Benson Idahosas and the few, if you go there, it's 70 years. It's just one cycle. East Africa, 1926, we have third, fourth generations of anointing, but could not be preserved at the end of every cycle. And you look at the church in East Africa, it looks like it's starting. The church in West Africa, they are flying. Yet it's just one or two generations. The difference is simple, very simple. There is a strand of wisdom that preserves the next generation. If we lose that, then every generation that comes will have to begin from scratch and build again, and then scratch, and then build again, and then scratch, and then build again. Let him was ears here. Hallelujah. Something is happening in our generation. And not only do we have a responsibility to be available to God to do what has to be done. 
but the wisdom to know how to preserve what God is doing for our children to see. And only only God can help us. Burn for God. In whichever area God has called you, you might be a businessman, you might be a doctor, but wherever you are, be fervent. Be fervent. Let's take just one or two minutes and talk to Jesus. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. Speak to Jesus. prayer including myself we repent where we have let the world our flesh and our own understanding hold back your purpose and will for our lives and we can only ask as your word has come out and been planted in our spirits that we listen we receive we love and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you say, I want to be born again, just repeat this words after me. Say, Father God, I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ because he died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Today, I make the decision to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. This Amen. sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.